I've already been filled with the Spirit. That happened 20 years ago. But dear listener, is your experience up to date? Do you just coast on now? Is there no more need for growth? Does God now do everything for you? Or must you do something yourself as well? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you'll find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, <clears throat> excuse me, and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, that is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Um, if you go to any of those uh, social media places, make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And soon enough, probably beginning in the month of April, we'll be back out in the public square uh, having street meetings weekly uh, every Sunday. And uh, in the meantime, we are meeting in homes. If that is something that you want to do, if you need to uh, meet with other believers, if you've got questions and you're seeking God, um, then we ask that you would contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week, we talked about the secondness of the experience of being filled with the Spirit, a holiness of heart. There is a secondness to it uh, that we can find inside of the Scriptures. This week, we are dealing with holiness as a conditional work of grace. <clears throat> and conditional means it's not free for the taking with no strings attached. If we were to breach the conditions of the transaction, we made a contract or something like that, and we breach those conditions, we lose the benefit of what that contract had in the beginning. If we, if we said uh, perhaps we were leasing a car and we didn't follow all their rules, we bring the car in to get inspected and cleaned and all sorts of, we didn't do that or we didn't end up paying the amount of money that we needed to at certain times, they would repossess the car and we would lose out on money. And we say, that's so unfair. I'm in a contract. Yes, but you broke the contract by your breach of the conditions to it. Many people cry against a conditional salvation or sanctification, citing that it makes God's work subject to to man's work. In other words, you take the sovereignty of God away when you do such a thing. The problem with that thinking is that the scriptures clearly bear out God's promises to people, some of which have conditions attached to them. So if you do this, it, we read in the scripture many different places, God says, I will do this. That would be an example of a conditional um, promise. If you do such and such, then I will bless you in this manner. That is constantly repeated throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> there are some of those same things repeated in the New Testament. So what are the scriptural conditions that must be met for one to be sanctified holy? Maybe we should back up for a minute and say, 
what are the scriptural conditions for one to be saved, for one to be born again? People would say there is none. Not true. The first words Jesus preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus must be a works heresy preacher or he means what he says. He says, repent and believe. Repent and believe on the gospel. Or excuse me, that was one of the apostles in the, in the book of Acts. So repentance and faith is the condition uh, for one to be born again. There are conditions also for that second work of grace. And I've said this before, but the second work of grace does not mean that Jesus did two separate things. It's all one package. It's all what he purchased on the cross. It's more us that when after we're first saved, we don't realize at first the plague of our heart or the the depth of where sin has gone until after we're saved and we love Christ and we want to serve him and we find internally there are things that aren't quite in matching with our highest desires and, and the utmost of our being. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we're living a life of sin at the moment. It just means that there is an impurity within that is a fountain from which all of our sins past had sprung from. There is a corruption within and it needs to be taken care of. So we find there's the conviction of the need and possibility uh, of being sanctified based on the following facts. Man, our mankind, has a sinful disposition which needs to be cleansed. Refer back to, I have here lesson four. I think I had to break some of them up. So um, you refer back to, I'm going to say lesson four for right now, and maybe I'll have to change that in the description in the notes. Uh, Also, adequate provision for the cleansing of the soul has been made through the atonement. So we have a sinful disposition and then God is given a remedy. That's essentially the teaching of the scriptures. It is possible to be sanctified wholly in this life. And that is sometimes denied. However, most people throughout Christendom and throughout the ages generally agree that there is a need to be sanctified and that provision has been made. They may only disagree on how that is to take place. But generally speaking, in Orthodox Christianity, we realize there's a need to be sanctified and that God has made provision for that to happen. So what is the disagreement? The disagreement essentially is when. That's the disagreement. When and how, but when. Most claimed uh, that it cannot be experienced until the time when the physical body actually dies. Some have come up with, as the Catholic Church would say, uh, that purgatory would take care of this problem. The Bible teaches, however, a present possibility. The Bible states that holiness is to be received and lived in this life. So Luke 1, 75, excuse me. <clears throat> in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, all the days of our present life. Romans six twenty two. But now being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So the end is everlasting life. But right now, we live a life of holiness. We have fruit unto holiness while we're living. Also, uh, Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's fairly clear, I believe. First Peter 4, 1 through 3. For as much then as Christ hath suffered uh, for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, 
For he hath, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So flesh here is not talking about the sinful propensity in our soul, but rather the human physical body. We're say, he's saying that while we live in this human body, we'll no longer live our life in the lusts of men, but to, in the will of God. So holiness uh, can be received in this life. <clears throat> the Bible commands or gives commands and promises uh, which holiness is directly related to the con. Uh, to the conditions of the present life. So we look in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So obviously, a living sacrifice does not need to be further explained. A dead sacrifice is not a living sacrifice. Therefore, this command is speaking to living people. Also, telling a dead man not to be conformed to this world doesn't make any sense. How can I prove anything of a holy life when I'm dead to a living world? So the proving that's spoken about in this verse is brought by living transformation. So this is something that is received here in this life. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 I've used this in the previous one. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the same word, um, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly and pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd mentioned this before, but unto and at, and these two separate verses are the same Greek word. And the context of this verse is to be preserved in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So that leads us to know that something already had taken place and God has keeping power all the way to the end, helping us to realize that holiness is something that happens in this present life. This word at should also be translated unto, which I said uh, before that even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ would establish our hearts unblameable in holiness there. So the context of 1 Thessalonians 3 uh, they were told that they missed the return of Christ. They were assured that they did not miss the return of Christ. They had a great testimony. Paul wanted them to be abounding more and more in love so that they might be established in holiness in this life and kept unto the coming of Christ. He said in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. In other words, they needed a holy heart. And the Lord, in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So Paul had that. That happened to him, essentially, is what he's saying. They had the love they were exhorting the Thessalonians to have. And noticing uh, verse 13, he said, to establish your hearts, not ours. So he was telling them, it can happen in this life and you need it. <clears throat> because Paul had to flee Thessalonica because of the uproar that happened. So he's writing a letter back to them and saying, basically, I wanted to tell you some things and I wasn't able to do that. So I'm writing this in a letter. 
uh, let's see, Hebrews 12, 14 through 16. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Now here, if you were to look in a lexicon, or excuse me, a um, interlinear Bible, you will find that the English version does not translate the definite article, the. If you look there, you can find it for yourself. You can probably find these online for free. But it says, follow peace with all men and the holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat <clears throat> sold his birthright. So the definite article, the, in front of holiness, is speaking of a second work of grace. We're told not to fail of the grace of God, which leads us to believe that you can backslide. and. The question then is, can someone backslide when they're dead? So this is obviously talking about something that can happen in this present life. This verse is a directive for this present life and now. Then in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, we're told as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, God is telling us to be holy in this life, and with His the, the very reason that he is telling us this helps us to understand that it is in fact possible. And he's not expecting something of us that is impossible because then he would be a cruel tyrant. But that is not the character of God. We also find in the scriptures prayer for the experience of holiness. We are commanded to ask, Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So he's saying, pray. And he's giving the incentive. If you do pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit, how much more will God do it? <clears throat> That's the, the incentive. The disciples spent the time in preparation for Pentecost in prayer. We read in Acts 1.14, these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And the result is they were filled with the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 2. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. We are also, um, well, what we do also see, speaking about holiness as a conditional work of grace, the confession of the carnality which needs cleansing. So let's just recap for a second. We saw that it was conditional because there was the conviction of the need and possibility of being sanctified. It's not just a flat out given to you. There's something that we need to do on our part. We see that 
prayer was a a um a prerequisite to receive that so conviction is the is one condition prayer is another condition we're not going to obtain it if we don't pray for it and then the confession of the carnality uh which needs cleansing is another condition so that's implied in asking or seeking why do you need to ask or seek unless you have a lack i think that's fairly simple for any of us to grasp i'm not going to ask for something if i don't need it so if i am asking then i realize i do need it that is a prerequisite that is a condition in order for me to receive <clears throat> this baptism of the spirit the bible gives examples of such a confession of the prayer that involves confession uh, we read in Psalms, uh, Psalm 51, 2 and uh, 7, 51 verses 2 and 7. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David said it wasn't enough for you to just uh, wash me of mine iniquity, but cleanse me from my sin, singular. Cleanse me from this nature of sin that caused this trouble in the first place. You read further on in that psalm and you realize he's talking about that uh, and he wants there to be a clean heart. Renew a, within me uh, a right spirit and a clean heart um, because he doesn't want to continue. He doesn't want to do the same sin that he had done before. That's essentially his reasoning. Um, Isaiah 6, 5. Then said I, <coughs> excuse me. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we find a confession of uncleanness in Isaiah. And if you go a little further, you see that there is a type of this second work of grace, this sanctifying experience when the live coal is taken off the altar, it's touched on his lips, and then he was a mouthpiece for God, the anointing uh, on uh, Isaiah for his prophetic ministry is symbolic of that anointing of the baptism of the Holy Ghost for Christian life and service. <clears throat> then let's look at uh, another condition to receive this holy heart is abandonment to God. So consecration is the most commonly used word to convey this step in seeking holiness. Different people have different ideas uh, about what this word consecration even means. Uh, differences, there's differences even among uh, people that would call themselves holiness people. All Christians are already consecrated to God. They just need to give up inbred sin. That's one idea. Consecration cannot be obtained until after one is sanctified. One needs repentance to see sanctification. So there's the, the idea of repentance in believers. John Wesley wrote <clears throat> something of a sermon and that doesn't deal specifically just with that. It's a broader scope. But that's one idea. Some use the word crucifixion instead of consecration because they believe that the term consecration gives a watered down idea of what God expects. We have to realize that there is a danger, there is the danger of implying a self-inflicted death uh, with this word crucifi crucifixion. The true death is when God destroys sin within the heart. You are crucified with Christ. And there is... We've got to park it here for a second because there are these troubles that go on in Christendom. Some people just say, I'm set apart for Christ. And yet there are carnal propensities within them. There are attitudes, there's anger issues and jealousy problems and whatnot. And it may not always come out 
uh, into their mouth or into their actions, but they know the pollution of their heart. They know those things that are there. And I'm not talking about um, temptation. I'm talking about a stirring of something evil within and the person that has that knows that it's there. Um, so some would say, we just need to you know, surrender to God and then that's it. Well, there needs to be a crucifixion that takes place. A death does take place. You are crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed. There is something that God does to our hearts. All these different thoughts have one main emphasis of the abandonment of the sin uh, that is in our nature. <clears throat> I've heard some people say this, and I understand where they're coming from because there's an abuse from saying uh, the nature of sin or sin nature, that there, sin is not a thing. It doesn't... Um, it's not like a substance inside of our being or whatever. If you go in Romans chapter seven, that does uh, blow that out of the water. Regardless of what you do in saying what Romans chapter seven is actually talking about, he uses the phrase that says, the sin that dwelleth in me. So there is something of a principle or corruption of sin that can dwell inside of a person. That I believe that passage makes that perfectly clear. And I'm not even saying what the interpretation of that passage leads to at this point. Um, I did do a, a a teaching on this called Realizing the Need, go into our my podcast thing. Uh, the Road of Salvation is the series, and Realizing the Need deals with Romans chapter 7. So you can look at that if you want more information. So two conditions need to be uh, needed to obtain a holy heart are crucifixion and consecration. The Bible uses the following expressions to set forth this idea. Uh, we read uh, obedience, Acts 5.32. You are to obey Christ, and that obeying Christ is, it, it helps us to realize we're saying no to ourselves and saying yes to him. There is a death that takes place to our own will and desires. Yielding to righteousness, same kind of thing. We are turning our back on uncleanness. We're yielding to righteousness, Romans 6.19. Present your bodies. We read about this in Romans 12.1. That is a consecration. That is a laying something out for God. So the crucifixion, the consecration, we are putting ourselves on the altar like they would have an Old Testament sacrifice, waiting for the fire to fall. We will be slain. Christ will raise up in our stead. And it's not I that dwell, it's not I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. So we find that there. We also, in the next verse in Romans 12, be not conformed. Uh, that conveys the idea of, of a crucifixion and consecration. Make not provision for the flesh, Romans 13 through 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is a crucifixion of, of that sinful self. Because God doesn't want to annihilate uh, self as us as an individual person. Uh, there's many scriptures all throughout uh, the Bible that speak about people referring to themselves and there's nothing inherently wrong with us as an individual, but there is something that is inside of that selfhood that is twisted, marred, and ruins all the motives of our heart towards evil. That's what is needing to be crucified. Um, <clears throat> we read also in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, of the cleansing of, of all filthiness of the flesh. This is a crucifixion, a consecration. James 4, 8 says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Um, in your hands, in your, clean your heart, hands and purify your hearts. That's a crucifixion and a consecration. Walking in the light, 1 John 1, 7, is a consecration. I am now going to walk in a life of obedience, complete unreserved obedience to Christ. 
Then we read in Romans 6.11, reckon yourselves dead. There's a crucifixion. I, my old self is dead. It has been buried with Christ. And now I will be raised in newness of life through the operation of the spirit of God. That same spirit that rose Jesus up from the dead is the same spirit that is in me. So that is abandonment to God as a condition. Uh, Lastly, faith. So with faith, uh, some people, I guess, think when we're delineating this, I don't see so clearly these, these two separate works of grace. It's like anything in life that if we are after a certain aim, if we were doing um, studying because we wanted to learn a certain subject, we will not read large swaths of things because we're focusing all of our study on one particular point. And we get to that end, we may get a doctorate or something that proves that we have learned the material that we've gone through. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way that we can prove we've learned it, but you understand the analogy. Now, if I'm studying and I'm studying only for one specific end, does that mean that I am I am having a different type of mental capacity when I'm studying astrophysics than when I am studying astronomy, perhaps? It's still the same thinking capacity, still the same brain, still the same thought processes, but applied to something different. It's the same when we are seeking a holy heart. It's still the same process in a very large degree, especially when it comes down to faith. It's the same faith that that helped me uh, to enter into that kingdom of God to be saved, that born again experience. There's no different of a faith when I'm seeking to be sanctified holy. It's just now that I'm applying it uh, to the blood of Christ and to his cross for something else, something that I've now realized since being saved that I have a need. So Acts 26, 18, we read, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, sanctified by faith that is in me. So we realize faith has a sanctifying effect, especially when we're believing God to sanctify us. Uh, Peter's testimony in Acts uh, 15, 19, when he's talking about uh, Cornelius in his household, um, He said that God put no difference between us, the Jewish apostle believers, and them, the Gentile believers, purifying their hearts by faith. So faith had a purifying effect. Excuse me. Uh, Galatians 3, 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That is a condition. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. This is what faith does. As God did from his, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So ceasing from your own works is in direct opposition to unbelief. Unbelief is that my works are going to do this for me. He's saying cease from that, which is the rest of faith that he's asking them to come into for a holy heart. Rest here is equated with ceasing from our works. Rest is juxtaposed to unbelief. So what is a rest from our labors except faith? I think that is relatively clear. A little bit of thinking, but it's clear. Faith must be specific. I must be trusting God to sanctify me wholly. 
faith must also be perfected. Name it and claim it or take it by faith will not avail if one has not crucified, has been crucified with Christ, if one has not had that personal crucifixion, uh, that personal Calvary, or if one has not consecrated everything to God, you will not have a perfect faith that can grab hold of God to give you a holy heart. So dear listener, where are you? Are you a seeker? Have you been born again? And you know that you're not living a life of sin right now. But you're also well aware that there is troubles inside of your heart. There is a corruption. There is a problem within that saps against your highest good and your love towards Christ. And you realize there is corruption inside of me. Something needs to be taken care of. Well, we have gone through that this is conditional. And the conditions start with a conviction of the need and possibility of being sanctified, praying to be sanctified holy, confession of that carnality which is in you that needs cleansing, abandoning all to God, which is crucifixion and consecration. And then lastly, faith that God, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it, is specifically applied to those that are seeking a holy heart. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email me at gods.resistance at gmail.com. Get in contact with me so we can meet. Uh, if you want to meet together, we have in-home um, services. Call me, uh, email me, tell your friends about this uh, broadcast, about our social media platforms. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. <laughs> Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.